0: This podcast is not meant to be professional advice of any kind. It's meant to be informative and entertaining. If you make any changes to your life, see the appropriate professional before you do so. Hello and welcome to SuperAge. My name is David Harry Stewart. I'm the founder of Agist. At SuperAge, we help you live better and become the best version of yourself, and who doesn't want a super age? Welcome everybody. This is episode 15 of the Super Age podcast. It is great to have you here today. I had a little event this last weekend. It was my birthday. I am now 62 years of age. And I have to say I feel great. I'm really excited about this coming year. It, uh, it seems like, you know, there's a solution in sight for the COVID situation, thank God. Um, We have a whole lot of things going on here at Aegis and SuperAge coming out in the new year. Very excited about that. And I guess that mostly what I want to say is, you know, when I was like 22, this is not what I thought 62 was going to be like. Um, It's, you know, 60. I got to say 62 is not 52. It is definitely 62. But 62 can be pretty rocking. Today on the show, we have Mr. Stephen Smith. Stephen is one of the foremost and most famous sneaker designers on the planet. Steven's also about 55 years old, and he has a new job. He's working with Kanye West. They're designing Yeezys. Back when Steven was in his mid-40s, he was working for Nike, and they may or may not have let him go because of his age. I don't know. We're going to ask him about that. But in the interim, you know he's one of a handful of people that really invented sneaker design. He's invented some of the the really iconic shapes out there the just um amazing designs you know uh three buck insta pop the insta pump fury yeah um we're going to ask him about that. My understanding is that's was done decades ago and it's still people are still riffing on it. It's amazing. Uh, I mean, he started at New Balance back when, you know, it's like early 20s. And he invented what we think of as the dad shoe (laughs) back then. He is a designer's designer. And he's somebody, when we think about super aging, somebody who's not slowing down. I mean, he races cars in addition to other things. Uh, Somebody who's really pushing it and not not pulling back. Stephen... Stephen, Stephen not only doesn't live in the past, he doesn't really live in the present. He lives in the future, and that's you know, what we're going to ask him about with, um, with Kanye, somebody else who likes to live in the future. I'm just so excited to speak to him. There's going to be so much to talk about. Um, it's going to be a long one today, um, but hang in there. It's going to be worth it. Uh, quick word from our sponsor, and then we're going to give Stephen a ring. Today's show is brought to you by Cirrusel.com. Ciricell and their KFS cellular protein complex serums. As you age, your skin's resilience and health declines. The communication between the upper layer, the epidermis, and the lower layers, the dermis, slows down due to age, pollution, stress, and sun exposure. Ciricell's patented dual cell technology delivers their proprietary KFS ingredients with over 1,500 natural proteins, including collagens, pre collagens, peptides, and signaling factors. KFS Cellular Protein Complex Ingredients Reboot the Skin's Natural Ability to Communicate and Rejuvenate. We're offering listeners 15% on your first purchase of Sericell with the code AGIST2020. Go to Sericell, that's S-E-R-U-C-E-L-L dot com slash discount slash AGIST2020. com slash discount slash AGIST2020. 2020, save yourself 15%. Hey, Stephen, how are you? Uh,
1: Not bad. You know, it's Oregon and the sun is out.
0: Wow. Lucky day. No rain.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Tomorrow. (laughs) Tomorrow. Well, the next four months. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's true. Like I always say, it starts on the day before Halloween. So it rains on the kids. And then it ends right about uh, 1st of July. Ah. The sun. The sun comes back permanently
0: <laughs> wow yeah i went to school in in i'm from upstate new york and i went to school in rochester and they would run pictures in the paper about what the sun looked like because there wasn't sun <laughs> yeah. from like october to may it just like didn't happen Yeah. No. and we're, you're from new england
1: <laughs> yeah i'm originally from uh southern massachusetts Uh, like 30 minutes outside of Boston. Oh, what town? Taunton. Do you know where
0: that is? I don't. I was, the only time I got put in jail was like, um, I was, (laughs) it was south of Boston. Me and some punk rock friends broke into an amusement park um, in the winter and it was like a major crime spree and they locked us up overnight. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. Which one
1: was it? Was it uh, Lincoln Park or one of those? Or what was it, was, the one it was on the water. It was like Narragansett, maybe? Oh, oh that's Rhode Island. Yeah. Narragansett no, no.
0: There. It was it was Massachusetts. So I don't, I don't know. Being in jail, I kind of blocked it out. It was only overnight. It was my only like real serious run in with the law. And it was just you know, <laughs> weird punk rock stuff. Um, so, and what are you, <laughs> you yeah, I know <laughs> things kids do. Um, do you, uh, what, what did you study? You studied design? Right. In,
1: yeah. In Boston. Uh, I started uh, industrial design at Mass College of Art in Boston. And then it was uh, it was a tiny little school. There were 350 students in the entire college, graduate and undergraduate combined. Um, and the ID program, we only had six graduating uh, students by year. And the year before, there was only one. So he got, he like got personal education for wow. his senior year. What year uh, was that? Uh, Eighty six. I graduated.
0: So we were there at basically the same time. So I did two years at uh, Boston University, and I lived there for a couple of years. Oh, nice! So yeah.
1: Did you? I almost uh, went to BU. It's a weird place. You you were better where you were. <laughs> well, it was funny, you know. At that time, it's very difficult to uh, explain to people what industrial design is. Um, and my guidance counselor—they don't know any better, so which is funny because the people are supposed to be guiding you. And uh, I was like, I want to, I want to design stuff, you know. Right. And he's like, Oh, engineering. Right, and I'm like, uh, I, I don't know. I thought it was design, but sure, I guess so. So he's like, all right, well, we'll look at engineering schools. So, oh, BU has a great engineering department. Let's uh, let's why don't you apply for that? I'm like, oh, okay. So I applied to BU and got in for the School of Engineering. And then I looked into it. I'm like, wait a minute, this is like math and things <laughs> and black and white. Like I live in gray. I want to you know, <laughs> I want to design how things look, not necessarily um you know mathematics and and trig and geometry and stuff i mean not that that's not part of uh product design and what i what i ended up doing but you know that's not my main focus um so then my art teacher was like no 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 what you want is industrial design product design i'm like yeah so she told me what it was i'm like yeah that's it that's what i want and I'm like, where should I go? She's like, well, I went to Mass Art. Why don't you go to Mass Art? And I'm like, okay. So I applied to Mass Art and got in, and, and then I went there. And I'm like, yeah, this is more, more like it. More what I what I really wanted to do. I almost got tricked, but well, I I have a
0: story. I um I went to RIT for mechanical engineering because they wouldn't let me in to industrial design. They said I oh, had funny. No, They said I had no creative abilities.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well i we we had uh it uh, in our freshman year they have like the intro program that gets you accustomed to all the different types of art and there was studio for interrelated media which was performance art and you know I, most of us uh industrial designers were introverts and the last thing we wanted to do was perform per se and yeah you, you didn't like to be a public speaker or, you know, you were very withdrawn. Um, and we had this guy, Harris Baron and me and another guy, ironically, also named Smith, Peter Smith, who was from the town next to me. And we commuted in together on the bus. Uh, we neither one of us wanted to do any like performance art. And we all everybody had to do something. So we were like. Uh, He's like, anybody want to run the, you know, the slide projector and and lights? So both of us were like, yeah. And he's like, that's okay. You know, that's okay. You guys want to do that because, you know, some people are born to create art and others are born to run the slide projector. And I'm like, (laughs) wow, that's, that's really nice of you. (laughs) You Wow. Shithead. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, that was my intro and outro to performing art, (laughs) and so I definitely knew I was going in the right place with, with product design.
0: Did you do that? Were you into like the music scene in Boston then?
1: Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, me too. What what were you seeing? Where'd
0: you go? I was probably in the same place with you.
1: Yeah, there was Jumping Jack Flashes, the Rat, the um,
0: Rat, yeah, Channel. Sure,
1: Uh, used to go to the Rat all the time. Um, but yeah, those are funny. They, and then when I got to new balance, you know, right out of college, you know, new balance was, it was kind of conservative, but it was pretty, pretty laid back place, but they didn't know what to think of this kid who was like, you know, I I came in after one of the circle jerk shows and I was just beaten and bruised because I was (laughs) down in front in the the slam pit. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, they're like, what happened to you? I'm like, Oh, I went to a concert last night. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. And uh, they're like, how was it? I said, it was awesome, but man, I'm sore. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny. That's why I always laugh. You know, when I did the the shoes now that are the New Balance classics. You know, that they ended up giving me the moniker of the Godfather of Dad Shoes. Uh, you know. That was the that was the guy who designed the the dad shoes. This twenty one year old kid going to the Circle Jerks and Motorhead and Meat Men and uh, not 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 the fifty five year old guy I am now. So it's pretty funny. <laughs> so wow. Um, so I want I want to
0: ask you about you know some of the you know the when you are designing, uh. Uh-huh the um so that you know that i guess i all i know about is your sneaker stuff but i'm guessing you do other stuff but
1: um there's yeah, i've done i've done some other stuff military gear uh oh. riot gear for some south american uh swat teams uh <laughs> i did some communication uh electronic patch base for bell labs uh they were they were uh, computer switchers that then became integrated into the cell phone network. You know, my brother would hoof me a project every now and then for fun through through Bell System. Um,
0: it, like when you're yeah. doing a, those are. Um, I'm curious about what's very interesting to me about sneakers is they have this. There's this duality to them. They're um, it's a you know it's a performance based product but it's also like super aestheticized and I'm wondering like in your design process, when you start to think about something, are you th- like, what's the, what's the initial impulse? Is it the, I want to make somebody run faster or this looks really cool and how can we build this in?
1: Um, you know, it comes from all over the place, but that integration of uh, function and performance is ingrained into everything from the initial thought to the sketching process. You know, my brain just kind of naturally um, adds it into the in, into the DNA. But part of it is, you know, problem solving. Um, I always had the the Fs, which was fit, form, function, and you know, in the last. 10 15 years of, of, of fashion because they've become fashion items um, you know in those in the early days you you did performance but then you tried to integrate the aesthetics and the colors to go with uh, the sports gear or team team apparel or team uniforms and it's evolved into uh, you know as those things became, more casual wear and then casual wear kind of, kind of became its own and sports wear um, and it all kind of blurred. It it, it evolved into that. So, I mean, all of those things are integrated into it. Uh, For me, I always like, well, whatever I'm designing, especially on, you know, on the sneaker side of the business is uh, I got to make something so compelling um, that, people will want it you know so interesting fascinating and that's where materials and concepts and different things uh are spurred on from that that quest for new and better not just new and different i mean sometimes new and better results in different and that that's a plus um but definitely aesthetics are are part of it uh and i also want to I also want to try to design something I would want myself, you know, cause if I'm going to expect somebody to pay a hundred, 125, $200 for something, you know, would I, and, and if I wouldn't pay that, how could I expect somebody else? You know, I mean, at the end of the day, we create things that are objects of desire. Um, and, you know, we're in, in the early days, we competed with, e- with each other, you know, so like at New Balance, we were competing with, with, like Nike and Puma and Brooks in those, in those days. Um, and that's whose stuff I had to make as good, if not better. I mean, always, always the, the goal was better. Um, to the dawn of the Walkman, right? And when the Walkman came out, that changed everything. Because now all of a sudden, there's something at the exact same price point that we play at so that was the beginning of kind of like, I don't know if you call it like super combat, because I had now had to get the kid's money that he would have bought his sneakers with away from them um, that, that he would go buy a Walkman, you know, that became, you know, a portable CD player, that became an MP3 player, that became, you know, the cell phone. This is the competition um now so you know because you're you're making sneakers and shoes and it's like everybody needs them but why do they need yours um and so that that became the goal like i've got to make something you know when you look at the fury it was something so technical that it needed to compete with these electronic devices and you know that that expands your whole uh arena of what you're competing against for for the money you know this or that and so i always wanted to make something so cool and so compelling that they went oh i gotta have that and that's you know that's i I think a a good designer should always think that way i mean this problem solving number one but number two is like would i want it myself and if i wouldn't then i'm not i'm not on the wrong uh, uh, i'm on the wrong path you know what
0: what year was the Fury?
1: know, uh, yeah, I first sketched that earliest version of something like it in '91, and then the actual design wow. came about in '92, and then it hit retail in '94.
0: Oh, I had no idea. I thought it was like, yeah, ten years ago or something.
1: But yeah, no, it's it's uh, wow. I mean, that's what's cool about these things, you know and I've said it in a couple other interviews, but Kanye and I have these deep conversations sometimes about things about time and place and space. And um, one of those things is there's certain, there's certain things that are timeless in their design and their creation and, um, and the fury was one of those things that was, I got a glimpse of the future and the present and created the future in 1994. And, you know, like you couldn't tell that it was 10 years old or 20 years old or now 30 years old. I had no idea. Uh, and, you know, that that's what's kind of, kind of cool about it. Kind of like a, you know, if you look at like a Lamborghini Countach, you know, it still looks futuristic. Right. It's still competitively fast to modern cars, um, and you don't think that that thing was designed in like 1969. Uh, you, everybody thinks 80s because that's when they were, you know, on Miami Vice and very popular. Uh, but it's the same same kind of thing to me in a lot of ways, where it's this timeless design, and a lot of the a lot of the things that we work on it. Easy have that same kind of uh, impact or DNA to them so like the wave runner that's behind me the 700 you know it's it's a dad shoe and it revived the dad shoe scene and we did it in you know 20, 2018 but it could be from the 90s and it could be from yesterday or it could be from tomorrow. You can't really put a date to it. And when you see it, you're like, well, of course, of course it's there, it's always been there. You know, it's one of those designs that like, <clears throat> excuse me, it's it's like, of course it's there. You know, that's it, it's now this right. classic icon. And yeah, it's kind of an interesting way to to think about things, you know? Similar to, you know, I, I always think about like Nikola Tesla, where people thought he was crazy, but everything we do today, everything we use is based around what Tesla did, not necessarily Edison AC power. All the things Tesla was messing with, uh, AC motors that enabled hard drives, that enabled switching and keypads and uh, modern speakers, everything is based on what Tesla did. And at the time, you know, people dismissed it or uh didn't just didn't understand it at that moment
0: i'm thinking about it's just so interesting um this idea like time and place and uh like that lamborghini i, I if you would have asked me when that car was designed it would have said like uh, 80 85 yeah it's <laughs> 68 wow but it's um the idea of it's um it's creating this new um i don't want to say like new reality but um thinking what n- not what is but what could be right like thinking like what are the possibilities what what can be not what's been done
1: yeah i mean that's what that's what i always look at because i i i dealt in these big corporations and that's what's so great about uh my role now is i'm Uh, kind of separated from all of the corporate restraints, Uh, where you can just imagine and dream. And so many times within the corporate structure, so many people are afraid of the future afraid of risk and uh, and afraid of trying things that are so new and so different. And part of it is being that, that mentality of almost like a man out of time or kind of before your time, you're like, I can see it. Why can't you? Right. I, it's as plain as day in front of me. You know, why can't you see it? Right. And you know, you think about it, and they're not living in the same time as you. They're right. living in, in the present or the past. And you're thinking 10 years out, you know, what could things be like? And it's, wouldn't it be great if we could do this? And and you're like, and with yay, it's like, well, let's do it. Why not? Yeah, you know, as opposed to why, which is what you write in a lot of corporate environment. It's like, oh, that seems like it would be difficult. And they're like, well, yeah, <laughs> that's the point. That's why it hasn't been done. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny in those early days at Reebok, when we were doing all these blue sky innovation concepts, I drew all of this stuff, you know, because we had to get Paul Fireman excited about this new team that he put together of this innovation group. And um, part of it were, It it was almost like this moment where I was allowed to just free create and dream of what, what could sneakers be in the future? And I designed all of this stuff and people like dudes on drugs or something. (laughs) I'm almost old. You know, at that time I wasn't that old, but I was a straight edge punk. It's like, I don't do drugs. You know, I just see these things and it's cumulative, it's cumulative knowledge and understanding and interpretation. And it becomes this almost like engineering mindset to it of like problem solving. Well, I can see this material and I could see what you could do with this in 10 years. Why don't I just draw it now? And then we'll see what happens and we'll push the envelope of what can be. And, you know, over the last 25 years, a lot of those things that I had drawn have come to life, um, you know, through Reebok or even other companies, where people had drawn them 10 years later, like, wouldn't this be cool? And, I, and I'd be like, here, here it is. I, I drew it like in 1993. They're like you say, wow. you invented it. And I'm like, no, I said, I'm just excited to see something that I saw as this vision of what could be come to reality. Now, you know, it's, it's amazing that it took this long for it to become a reality. I said, I'm just, I'm, I'm sharing in the excitement of this thing coming to life. I would never say, "Oh, I invented it" or whatever, because you know, I mean, a lot of people can come up with the same ideas, and we run into that. Uh, you know, it's like the whole the whole thing about the room full of monkeys at the typewriters, and eventually they'll come up with a great novel. Um, so a lot of people do have a lot of the same ideas. It's just in those days. You were just dreaming about what it could be, and having that kind of engineering mind, as I knew how to do it. Again, it was getting other people involved and, and enrolled in it. It was always the, the struggle or the hard part, or getting people to share, share the same vision or or see. You know, you're, you're trying to bring them into the future with you, and they, and they don't want to go because they're comfortable here, right. and you want to be over here. Right. Um, and sometimes when that percentage comes out of balance, you know, I looked at it, I'm like, all right, these people are never gonna go to here with me, it's time for me to leave and f- find somebody else who's willing to to go there. Um, and that's how I ended up at, you know, a, a couple other companies where there was a moment where I'm like, you know what, it's it's not gonna change to what it should, or I'm happy with doing what I'm doing. Because at the end of the day, I'd like to be happy I mean, we all would, and, and uh, but it is that, that kind of angst or that unknown or uncertainty that kind of pushes you to this uh, level of discomfort. And yeah, you know, I always looked at it as like, if I'm gonna, sh- I show this design and people get really nervous and uncomfortable, I'm going the right direction. <laughs> you know, and part of that goes back to the old punk rock days of like, yeah, oh, you're disturbed. Good. You should be because it's going to affect change, and uh, you know that's how the product comes about. Because it's it's disturbing, it's disruptive, it, it's uncomfortable. It,
0: there's a reason we're the, not. You know, like you're you're not going to be on um, Golden Oldies Illustrated. Yeah. It's ageist. Come on. <laughs> right. Tell me. So it, I'm guessing. Like, I don't really know much about Kanye. Um, other than what I read, but my guess is he doesn't have, like, I can just see like the two of you guys sort of egging each other on to like a further future,
1: right? Like. Oh, definitely. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, there's a, few, there's a, there's a team of us um, and we all kind of play off of each other and, and, Keep pushing the boat out further. You know, it's like right. you're swimming to get to the boat, and the next yeah. guy shoves it out. You're like, damn, now I got to get to that. Oh boat. yeah, <laughs> And, then, That's and awesome. then I push it. And they're like, oh, we got to get to that boat. Yeah. And so you're always pushing the envelope of what if and what could be in in different directions based on creative direction from from Yay. Um, and you know, when I first met him, we talked about that, and he's he's like, come on, dude, it's it's year. We're in the 2000s. Like, where's flying cars and spaceships and stuff? Like we were promised. And I'm like, dude, I got these books at home. <laughs> I'm gonna bring them down here. And it was these these great books that I had bought over the years. And one of them was like, uh, the future we were promised. And it was all of these science fiction stories and yeah. these artist renderings from the 50s of what the future was going to be like in 1980. You know, right. and you're like, yeah, i was still living in wooden houses that are genericized colonials um there's no things flying through the air all those drones now at least today that you can fly around um excuse me we're not wearing like silver spacesuits every day uh so it's like I, he and i both talked about it like we were let down you know yeah. this is promise and then we were talking about uh people that inspired us and uh, you know and and I said Sid Mead and he's like I love Sid Mead I said yeah you know he's always been that god for me because he saw the future and and brought us along to it as best he could and and uh he's like yeah he's amazing I said he's one of my friends you want to go visit him he's like what and I said yeah right now let's go and he's like all right (laughs) so I, I called up Sid and we went there and and you know, I always like to see Sid whenever I'm in LA while he was alive. He passed away last year, which was unfortunate. Yeah. Um, but Kanye and I got to go I just spend a whole afternoon uh, brainstorming and talking the future with him, which was epic. I'm so glad we had that opportunity. Wow. Um, and yeah, yeah, Sid's been one of my friends again for like 30, 32 years. Because, uh, you know, it's like you, you grow up as this young designer and that guy's the god he's your hero and who wouldn't want to meet their heroes so I, I got to and you know he's a good guy and we stayed friends and you know every every six months to a year I, I'd be there or he'd be somewhere and he'd call me up hey I'm coming up to Portland let's let's hang out I'm like okay cool and we just talk about the future and design and it was just so cool to see some of these people that were huge influences for you you know the rock stars of your chosen career and that you ended up getting access to them and then actually becoming friends with them which was to me really cool super inspirational you know Um, I've got a ton of Sid Mead books right here that I look at all the time like oh what what did he envision this looking like like, yeah that's pretty cool fashion wise you know Um, you know because without him there'd be no Blade Runner because sid did everything in blade runner the costumes the buildings uh the weapons everything he designed everything in blade runner and that was such a vision of the future and um just i'm indebted to that man forever for the way he thought and dreamed of what the future could be and there was you know there was some uh cynicism to it but most of it was very positive you know people if you go back through all of Sid's concept work it was people enjoying life and and having a good time in the future it wasn't always misery you know but
0: i i have a random question for you sure our our, our mutual friend jonathan wants me to ask you about red lobster and ye that what do you eat <laughs> when you go to red lobster with ye <laughs>
1: You know, he he, he liked the uh, lobster bisque. And I, I just always go with uh, fish and chips, you know, that's what you grew up with in, in New England. And he liked potato soup. Uh, you know, you never know what you're going to get. Shrimps. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty funny when, when we, we wanted to go there just because his kids like it. So we're like, oh, we can go. But the cheese biscuits are the hook. That's all oh, right, you know, we all agreed, like, yeah, let's go there get some cheese biscuits, and the other stuff is just filler, <laughs> <laughs> but you know you know at, at the end of the day, people don't forget where they came from, you know, right, McDonald's fast food, it's like it's as bad as you know it is for you, it's like there's a certain comfort <laughs> to some of that stuff, you know. <laughs>
0: So true. Um, you know, I, I I remember something that um, Kanye was saying about like this idea that creatives have this have superpowers. Uh, yeah, and definitely. So, like, what would you say your superpower is?
1: Mm, I don't know. I guess I design things that people like. It just it takes them a few years to figure it out because they're kind of from the future in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, you know, problem solving, like making the best product possible. Um, and then infinite, infinite solutions, I think. And that's one of the things he likes. It's like um, it, it, there, there's an insatiable desire for creativity. And the guys I worked with at Reebok, who are my engineering counterparts, they they describe me as explosively creative. Uh, and part of it comes from that, you know, the, the desire to please. It's like, oh, you don't like that one? I'll draw you something else. You know, I'll, I'll draw that. I'll draw that. you like, so I'll draw that So I'll draw this one. So it just becomes this endless fire hose of, of designs, you know. And in the corporate world, everything's programmed and uh, cataloged and calendared and scheduled and priced and that's not me it's like i'm the fire hose it's like that there you would do four sketches you'd narrow it down to two you have committees narrow it down to one do a final rendering and then show that around to all the visual illiterates and the upper management and finance and everything else and get everyone's blessing and okay. And then that's the one that went to market. Um, whereas this is like, just create and you create and you create. And it's like, let's just make it all. And you know, (laughs) you can't make it all, but you try. And then it becomes a, um, kind of a library in a lot of ways of ideas that you can go back and like let's look what you did on page 23 uh second paragraph and you open it up and like oh yeah that was a pretty cool one well let's get that back out you know let's mix it with this one and uh again it's it's part of that timelessness thought of these designs don't have you know you did them at a point in time and they were a combination or a recipe of things that were available to you at the time, but you were also thinking of the future. So they could be from any time. And when you dig back into the archive of this uh, legacy of sketches, you can always pull something back out go, Oh, let's make this one now. Well, I drew that like two years ago. It's still cool, bro. Let's make it. And you know, you can, or we hand it down and we sketch with some other designers, either from apparel or architects and, you know, everybody kind of adds a little bit of sauce or a vibe to it. and um, it's, a, it's a creative collective more than anything. It's, it's, it's refreshing because without all that pressure of the corporate environment, uh, there's a false uh, competition that's created amongst designers there. They do it on purpose. You know, like, oh, well, cross-training had the best presentation. You guys in running need to step it up be like, what are you talking about? Cross training doesn't sell any shoes. You know, we sell a million pair of this one. Yeah, but their presentation was amazing. it's like, nobody's buying a presentation at retail. They're buying the product. And, you know, our stuff speaks for itself. But then it becomes like, oh, we got to go see what cross training is doing. And you see that. and, And you're like, God, I hate those guys in cross training. They always get the best you know, they give this best presentation and upper management loves them, they get the bonus or the raise or whatever. So it becomes this like inbred uh, harboring of negativity to each each other, ill will, and it's not healthy. And then you you become very um, exclusive in your design process and your thought process. When it's more open and you're willing to uh, accept ideas from other places, integrate those or again you know it's like each other pushing pushing the boat out on each other to get you to further and further of a place it's that's more that's more healthy than um that's more healthy than this whole infighting and competing with your own teammates within within the company that's not good so
0: really you know you have me thinking about this um design and this elasticity of time that, um, you know, the Instapuff Fury you said was like 1992 and how these, did, you know, people often think of design as um, sort of fixed. So, um, you know, there's like a certain like, uh, you know i don't know like there's like a certain there's a certain way of like okay like grunge or whatever that was like fixed in a time right it was like yeah didn't it it just stayed there didn't move okay fine and then you have other things that are also sort of locked in time you know the like a rolex submariner it's Mm -hmm. like an unchangeable unevolving thing it's a great thing but it's sort of it's 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 sort of of a play. i mean people say it's timeless i would say it's more like locked um and then, you know, and then you have this idea of what you're talking about with like the, you know, with the fury and the, and the work you do with Yi and these designs of it's, it's like time as a rubber band, right? It's like, you're, you're like going back and forth and like, how can, oh, take this, go forward, ad, adapt. Oh, this works now. It's fascinating.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's a different way of looking at it, you know, and for me as an older designer, um, that's what's been great about this is he thinks about things slightly different. Oh, you know, sometimes things we think about are the same, but, and I think of things differently than him and, and, uh, we help each other, you know, expand our, our knowledge and our way of thinking about things. And, you know, I like to learn something new every day, whether it's design, whether it's sneakers, whether it's fashion, uh, whether it's, uh, vehicles, whatever, it, it's, it's We're going to get to the vehicles in a second. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's refreshing <laughs> to think about things differently um, and being asked to think about things differently rather than formulaic. And that's when you get bored and tired, you know, like being at one company for like 10 years who doesn't change or adapt and you're just going through the same formula and process. It is formulaic, you know, it's like bands and music that don't change. Uh, they become formulaic because they right. had success with a certain album Right. and they never deviate from it. Cause like, this is going to be just like that one and you're trying to recapture right. it rather than move beyond it and grow and expand and become better. Right. You kind of become trapped in, in that moment. And these other things um, kind of become these icons because they're, they're not trapped in, in, in a moment or, contained or self-contained even within that yeah. that moment or an aesthetic
0: they're not self-contained they're yeah they're like they're like evolved they're like a it's, they're like an organism right they're like evolving in a way i guess that's not yeah right.
1: i mean and i look at the fury it was designed as a very performance running shoe saving weight minimalist construction and to see it crossed into fashion is is really cool people ask you what do you think of this person doing that and changing it this way or i said i think it's cool it's never you know 30 years ago did i ever imagine ever seeing it in those colors or those materials um like the Maison Magelo one uh, a young italian designer at reebok worked with Maison maguella and they came out with this high heeled runway split toe fashion version of the fury this year and i'm like that's cool. And people are like, what do you think? What do you think about what they did to your shoe? And I'm like, I think it's awesome. You know, right. it, it's it's a, a another way of looking at it, it's another opinion. It's somebody else's sauce added into it to a recipe yeah. that made it better. You know, they added their oregano, and mm, oh, that sauce was that much better. You know, thank you. It, yeah. So it's kind of cool. You know, it's it's an homage in a lot of ways, which I think is great. You know.
0: So you know, you mentioned your your age, and now you have a catalog of work behind you. Uh, yeah. uh And so, how do you feel about creativity and age? It 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 sounds to me like you're at least your position with Yi. It's like you're like in creativity hyper mode. But I mean, do you, do you see that with other people? They get what What do you think? What's the relationship between creativity and age? Is there any or nothing?
1: I I, I think. You know, you hold yourself back if you look at it that way. And, I, you know, some of us are, are blessed by God to have this brain that never stops and constantly thinks and rethinks. Um, I look at it as with, with me, the problems never solved. It was a moment in time where I had certain uh, materials or processes in front of me and I did the best I could at that moment in time. And, and those products still became icons and they're still timeless a lot of ways. Um, but I look at this as like chaotic almost of the quest is never over or, you know, um, Arthurian quest for the grail. And you're always, I, I could have done it better. And you would love to revisit it or reimagine it. But a lot of times, with things like a lot of those, the, the New Balance shoes and, and things like the Fury or Max's and stuff, it's like when you do things like that, they're the first of something. Right. And people always look at it as like, well, you could have done this or you could have done that, but they don't know the constraints you are under and how difficult it is to create the first. Of right. something. It's always easy to go back and do a revision or an update, but somebody had to do the thing first. Right. You know, yep. uh you know, Benz went from a horse carriage to the motor car. Uh, uh, I'm sure Benz would have loved to have done the 300 SL Gullwing first. But it was the future, your your dream, you had to, somebody had to create the motor car before you could even make a race car or something else from that, you know? I mean, Wright Brothers' first plane, um, it it all boils down to like the first flying machine. It's not elegant, it's not beautiful, but damn it, it did it first. And it's hard because they were the first ones to do it. I mean, I, I hope that makes some sense Absolutely,
0: Uh, it's 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 so difficult. If you showing anybody, or even just you know, saying you have some radically new idea that no one has seen before, or worse, has ever imagined before, you're now bringing this this novel element in front of them, and you're asking them to. I'm sure, like the Wright brothers, if they like said to their neighbors, "Hey, we're going to make this machine. It's going to fly." Yeah. Yeah. Right. uh Uh-huh. Yeah. (laughs) Tell us how well that works out for you. Can you change
1: the chain on my bike again?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. It's super hard. And it's, you know, I think the challenge of, I think one of the challenges of age is that we've, we've been around for a long time. So we get these like big hard drives of like what is and what isn't. And, and to keep that really fertile and, and keep it, keep that elastic and, and be staying open despite of what, cause each of us have done all kinds of shit that did not work. Right. Oh, yeah. Cars that crashed bones. I don't know. There's like stuff that didn't work out. And it's like in our heads. So to, you know, put that aside and say like, yeah, 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 yeah. That didn't work out that time, but Hey, maybe this guy's got this like really good solution for this thing we'd never thought of.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, on the age side of things, I look at it as the Guggenheim is one of the most beautiful buildings ever built. And Frank Lloyd Wright did that when he was in his 70s. Yeah. You know? Um, so, you know, when you deal in the bigger corporations, you deal with ageism. So, like at Nike, they got rid of a lot of us over 40 when I was asked to leave. Um, there's a law against that, by the way. Just well, so. <laughs> unless you, there's ways around it, which is what there happened, are. <laughs> but, um, they cast you aside as like this used up machine with bent teeth and bad bearings, and, you know, crooked, this or that. And, and you're like, what, what are you, what are you doing? You know? And then you get somebody like yay, who is like, why would anybody get rid of you? You're the collected vessel of knowledge of the entire industry. It's priceless. <laughs> you know, it's the it complete opposite mentality of it. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, that respect is amazing. And it that in itself is empowering to you. Uh, you know, because now you don't want to let them down. <laughs> you know, you're like, all right, let's go. The bar go is that. very high. <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. But, you know, I've been... You know, in, in another interview, I said I was uh, always the hold my beer guy. It always took from that can't be done. And I'm like, oh, yeah, watch this. And a lot of those products that I did were those watch this moments, hold my beer. And out of it came something because people were like, holy shit, you did it. And it was like, well, yeah, you. why not? If you can dream it and you got resources, you can do just about anything, you know? And if I can't do it now, I'll do it in two years or five years. But, you know, again, it's that Arthurian quest of making the best thing possible, but you're never done. Um, Cause it'd be, I, I don't know, it, it's, it's the best way I can describe it. Um, and so, you know, it was always funny being at like a Nike or Adidas and you see people repeating your mistakes. And you're like, hey, um, I don't know if that's gonna work. Can you? What if you tried this? You know, you're trying to help them and push them along, and they're like, it's mine. No, 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 no. You know, kind of what I was saying of that inherent um, environment of competition, as opposed to uh, empowerment and teamwork and helping each other. That people just naturally take it the wrong way when you're trying to help them. Um, on that journey, you know, it's like you see somebody struggling and you kind of throw them the life out so they can get the rest of the way to shore. There's nothing wrong with that. You just help them. But, you know, and they'd be like, well, I could have made it myself. It's like, well, okay. But you made it anyway. You know, and you could take a break. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, <laughs> I, I would rather have somebody help me than cast me aside.
0: Yeah. I like swimming to drowning. I'm not, yeah, exactly. It's not my favorite thing to do. Um, tell me, um, so I, I I went through your Instagram feed and there are all these machines.
1: Um, Oh yeah. I love stuff. (laughs) So,
0: so, uh, you know, help me out here. So, um, there's a lot of Porsches and there's a lot of V-dubs. Um, you own them, you race them. What, what are these machines? What do you use them for?
1: Well, we've got two two Volkswagen Beetles and a and a 50s Porsche, some motorcycles, uh bicycles. Machines. I love machines. You know, I mean it's that curiosity of how does this work? Problem solving. How do they do that? Um I I like to go fast, but you know, I drive cars that are Particularly fast, but it's more, you know, like what I always say in racing, it's more fun to drive a slow car fast than a fast car slow because you're never getting the potential out of it. So, like my Beetle, for instance, yeah, I race against Alphas and Porsches and stuff, and it'll, it'll go 120 miles an hour, which let me tell you, you want to talk adrenaline rush and fear. <laughs> go 120 <laughs> miles an hour at a 65 bug, it'll scare the bejesus <laughs> out of you, but you know, it's fun. uh You're pushing this thing to the absolute limits um yeah people would say well so you drive the porsche but you race a beetle and you're like yeah (laughs) you know they think you're crazy but i don't know i've always i've always liked motorcycles I, i had dirt bikes when i was a kid uh took a hiatus while i was adulting and then got back into motorcycles and dirt bikes and stuff knocked out some teeth Tweak well tweak my back, but yeah, that's all. That's all part of it. You know, you're just not as rubbery once what? you hit forty. When <laughs> you, or you yeah. wipe out into a tree on your dirt bike, <laughs> I don't I don't
0: skate anymore for
1: exactly that yeah. reason.
0: Yeah, um,
1: I got I got my boards. I still I still skate occasionally. <laughs>
0: I yeah I <laughs> I stopped that in my mid 30s. Too
1: many. Yeah, we I just we got to. BMX track down in Calabasas that we put around onto at lunch sometimes. So.
0: Oh, fun! <laughs> the so like with the with the with the Porsche and the Beetle. Do you um, you take them apart? You put them back together. I so one's got like a you got a blower on top of the Beetle, right?
1: Oh no, it's just massive carburetors. Oh, I thought it was. <laughs> I thought you'd supercharge no. your Beetle. <laughs> no, not allowed in vintage. So it's vintage racing. So it's preservation. Oh, I see. Right.
0: So, so do you take so them apart I, and like, do, do you do the well, work? Do you have somebody else do the work? How does that go? Uh,
1: 50-50. You know, if I can do it myself, I will. I built the last race motor in it. Oh, wow. Um, so part of it just became out of necessity because, you know, they always say if you want to make a small fortune in racing, start with a big one. Because um, you, <laughs> It's expensive.
0: Like even yachting,
1: racing, uh. yeah. you racing an old Beetle, <laughs> right? Is expensive, right? Um, the parts are a little cheaper, but you still, you know, you get a season or two out of a motor, then you got to rebuild it or you blow it up. Hopefully, right. you rebuild it because it's a hundred dollars in bearings and gaskets. Uh, if you blow it up, it's you know, a couple grand for a new motor. Uh, and so you know. I had my Porsche buddies here who would uh, service it and take care of it. And then he moved to California. And so you're like, Oh, I got to figure out how to do this myself. So you, you know, you gleaned what you could from them. while 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 you were with them and while you were there and what they would teach you. And then uh, I read a lot, technical manuals, journals on how to fix it, how to build race engines, porting and polishing heads, grinding valves, all of that I do myself. Because um, again, it, it kind of becomes that quest. Like, how can I get this 1965 Beetle to go a little bit faster? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and as the, as the old Porsche got more and more valuable, I'm like, well, I don't want to screw this up. So I'll take that to the vintage repair shop <laughs> for this, this, and this. But that I can still do. So... I don't know. just kind of, it, it's a fascination with how things work, you know, things, when I looked at the, at the running shoes, it's like, I, I didn't, because of that training and, and product design, I looked at them as machines for sport more than a fashion item. And I still look at it as a machine. Um, and how can I make that machine perform better? How can I hot rod it? Uh, how can I change the performance for the better? And, and it, it's how I, it's how I look at at my projects. Uh, and all of that stems from the stuff I have and maintaining it and building it. And yeah, I build, I build electric guitars.
0: I saw that. So yeah. Yeah. What was, it was like a, one of the Ramon guitars or something.
1: Yeah. I built a replica of Johnny Ramon's Mosrite. right. Um, most right ventures model uh, because i wanted to get one and i'm like well all the ones that are like tributes to it they're not quite right so i just make my own and so i did you know and it's some of that goes back to when i was 16 i was in high school you know we're all rock and roll back then and um some like Classmates were getting electric guitars and stuff, and I asked my mom like, "Can I get an electric guitar?" And she's like, "Oh, that's kind of expensive." And I said, "Well, what if I built one?" You know, because my grandfather was a, a detail finish carpenter, and he was from that um, Greatest Generation era where they could do anything. I mean, he wired his own house; he did all the plumbing. He wired their house; he did all the plumbing. He restored their colonial. Woodworking, detail finished carpenter. Um, and so I had all his tools and he taught me, he taught me those skills. And my mother's like, Well, how much would that cost? And I said, Yeah, I'd probably get all the stuff for about hundred bucks, you know. And she's like, Okay, I'll I'll buy you the stuff and you can make it. And so I went back to school. And I was like, Hey dudes, I'm just going to, they're like, you're going to get a guitar. I'm like, I'm going to make one. They're like, you can't do that. And that was the beginning. You know, part of that was that hold my beer. I'm like, what are you talking about? I can't do that. You know, you can dream it. You can do it. So I went home and uh, I got a piece of maple and a coping saw and I cut the thing all out by hand and hand sanded it. And, borrowed one of my friend's dad's routers to cut the neck pocket and the place for the pickups and everything and uh sprayed it out in my backyard with a spray gun and everything and I I took it into school two weeks later. And they're all like, whoa, that's cool. Where'd you get that? I'm like, I made it, remember? (laughs) And they're like, what? We didn't think you could do that. I'm like, well I did. Here it is. Like, can you make me one now? I'm like, no you know, go make your own, <laughs> but it was, again, it was that, that spirit of, why can't you, you know, it's always, I, I got tired of people saying, why, when I can say, why not? Um, and they would tell, you know, you can't, you can't, and I'm like, want to bet? And it was always that mentality of want to bet. Um, and so part of that, that mentality of can do kick ass you know do it myself or get the people who are the best at what they do to help me figure out how to do it we could do it together and uh yeah it was was just a self-taught thing and then over the last 30 years or so i've built one or two here and there and then you know with the the virus being stuck at home i'd do my regular design work. And then at six 30 after dinner, seven o'clock, i go down in the basement, bust out my wood tools and just start making guitars again. Cause it's, yeah, it's relaxing in a lot of ways you can kind of turn your brain off and you feel that, you know, part, part, part of this, again, it, it influences how I look at the design and shape and form. Cause you know, when you're sanding the wood, you're feeling the curves, you're, it's not so much perfection cause it's handmade at the end of the day versus you know, I could get a CNC machine and bust this thing out in 30 minutes after two hours of programming, but it's just not the same as, as working this thing and feeling the form and feeling the shapes. And then your brain and your eyes and your hand all kind of connect. And that that sculpting uh, and that form then influences back in how you view the design, you know? Because when you design something, it's a three-dimensional object that we're building. so your brain needs to associate that shape and form to what you're sketching. And, and you know, cause drawings a two dimensional art, but you're creating a three dimensional object. So that, that connection of brain, hands, sculpt and form I, I think has been critical uh, to what made me who I, who I am as well. You know um, how you process it. You, know, you,
0: you mentioned, um, you know, Locked up in COVID, um, and you know y- your uh, your work is very tied to the the culture, um, to what's going on and what what could go on or will go on in the future. How do you how do you stay inspired during COVID?
1: Um, you know, you kind of stay on touch of what's happening in in fashion and sport. Uh, and a lot of a lot of what we've done over the last four years again with this raw creation is ignored it because now you're paving a new direction and it's what he's, he's interested in that becomes your direction. Right. Like uh, architecturally, musically. So you listen to the latest tracks and what he's cut, or he'll invite you into the studio to hear what he's working on and thematics and um, that idea of, of, creating an object that flows out of your pen from the vibe and the tune is something that's very, you know, I mean, not a lot of people have these gifts or skills, um, but it definitely flows from the tunes and vice versa of what, what he's about. And that's how you, you create it. Um, It's, it's hard to explain. I mean, a a non-creative will never understand it, (laughs) Um, but, you yeah, know, it's, it's environment, it's surroundings, it's influences that free your mind and give you those uh, different places versus being stuck in an office. I mean, I don't, that, that's the thing is like with the stature of my position, I have no office. I, I don't, I don't have an office. I have a backpack and an iPad and a phone and a, and a plane ticket. And... That's the way it is, you know? Uh, we have a small building with some machines in it if I need to make something or fabricate it. I have, I have my sewing machine here and, and some other machines down in my basement if I need to make something, but, uh, you know, it's lean and, and modern and futuristic. You're not tied to a space, you know? And then again, if you're not tied to a space or a fixed office location, you're free. You're open. There's no walls. You're not in a box. The world, the world is your office. Um, so you can soak all that in and process it and come up with magic. You know, see, see the beauty of, of outdoors and what, what God has provided and hear the sounds and sights and make something that's harmonious with that. that you see is this vision of what it could be. I
0: love that. I think it's so, um, you know, so many, uh, I had a pretty good career as a photographer at a lot of advertising. And it it was always about, this is what the other three guys did. So why don't you do something sort of like that, right? Yeah. And what you're describing is something very, very different.
1: Uh, yeah, and and when people come into our team, um, it's almost some people it's too alien for them because they yeah. need programming, they need Reference. a calendar, yeah. yeah, yeah, they need they they need a place, and it's right. like you're in the wrong place then because that's not the way this this is, you know, right. and and those things were, um ingrained in, again, in that in that corporate mentality and corporate structure of getting ahead or being having the bigger office, I need the bigger office, it's like, well, I got no office, and I'm fine with that. You know, you don't need it. It's just place to put stuff or clutter or or be confined and contained. It's much better to be unrestrained and and unchained. Um, And so it's cool, you know, he takes you the things that he's experiencing, uh, and places he experiences that he thinks will inspire you, and he brings you along on his journey, which is which is really cool. Because you know, again, in the corporate world, mm, travel budget's been slashed. You don't get an inspiration <laughs> trip this quarter. Why don't you just go downtown Portland and go see what's in the stores? And you're like, mm, yeah, great nothing inspirational about that. It's what's already out at retail, which was created right. a year ago, right. uh, corporately. So now, I'm aesthetically a year behind, if not two, cause that's going to be a year of creation. So now I'm two years behind to where the market's at or where I could be ahead of the market. Um, and so with this, it's, it's very, it's very liberating.
0: Can, I, I want to ask you something other, like completely random. Um, uh-huh. so, um, uh, another machine question, small machines, watches, do you, what, what are your thoughts on watches? Oh God, I love them. <laughs> <You know?
1: laughs> Somehow I knew that was the answer. <laughs> I got one wrist, but I got a lot of them. Oh, man, just, I don't know. Again, you know, it's, it's an object to tell time, but look at all the great variations and solutions people have come up with, you know? And then there there are others that say something, not necessarily to other people about you. It's things that are meaningful to me. Um, You know, one of the the Seikos I have was my older brother's first good watch. It was the first good watch anyone in my family ever owned. Uh, And when he got to Bell Labs, he got himself a Rolex and then gave me the Seiko and so he had beat the living crap out of it, but I treasured it. You know, it was a gift from my older brother. and It was the first um, high, high quality watch I ever owned. Uh, and I still have it. It was in a drawer. He he destroyed it. The band got lost. I found the watch up, up upstairs in my house about two years ago. And I'm like, there's a really cool clock repair shop here and I went to see the woman and so I looked it up I'm like is this thing worth it I mean is it w- and I, I don't I don't mean it for a uh, financial value I was like is it worth spending the money to get it working uh, or could I find one like it on eBay blah 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 but then it doesn't have the emotional attachment and I'm like you know it's got emotional attachment I don't really care what it's worth so I brought it to her I'm like can you get this thing working oh yeah so she put a new a new crystal on it. She got it all working. And then I went on a quest to find the the correct band for it. And of course the damn thing, you know, all, all the other watches have the uh, kind of the concave band as it comes to the round of the, the watch body. Now this thing's got convex. So it's the only band is that band. So I found one in like, um, malaysia i think i found it on ebay (laughs) and put it on and my so i sent my brother a picture he's like holy crap you got it all running again you know and so it was cool and uh you know uh, it's you know it's not a it's not an expensive one but it's a cool one uh and again it has that emotional attachment And, and like even even the old rolex i have on now this this thing's from I, I just wanted a plain one. I didn't want fancy. I didn't want bling. I just wanted, a, you know, again, a simple machine and stainless. You know, people, I want you the gold, It's cost more. It's not about the value, it's about what it is. And so this one was cool because it had a great story. It was purchased in, by the original owner in 1953 at Guantanamo Bay in Cuba. And uh, the, the, you know, the original owner died and his son traded in at this cool little watch store. I used to go to in Rhode Island and uh so i went in there i was looking for a bubble back and uh he's like i got this baby bubble back i'm like what's a baby bubble back so it's kind of like it's just not as big and and he and i said i don't want any date or anything i just want simple and he pulled it out and i'm like that's it that's the one i want so you know and that was my first kind of an expensive watch uh and, and I like it. I beat the living crap out of it. It's been rebuilt three times. Um, but you know, it'll end up being my daughter's uh when I when I'm done with it. And then you know, once I got into racing, I love the Monaco, Steve McQueen, Lamont, oh. the movie's incredible. I'm like, if I ever get enough money, I'm getting myself a Monaco.
0: Does it, and then there's a the original square, right?
1: Yeah, the square square of the pandas, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, they're, they're on the side by side. They're not a Mickey mouse pusher. Okay. Um, so, um, I finally bought that one for myself, uh, two or three years ago. Uh, cause they reissued it. Cause the original ones are obscene. You know, I mean, it, there is close to like fifty, hundred thousand dollars 100000 for an original yeah. one. I'm like, you know, Monaco. Or another Porsche. I think I'd <laughs> rather get another Porsche. <laughs> but, so, and then you know, thank God they reissued it, and they reissued almost identical to the one from the movie *Lamass*. So I got one of those, and it, it's fun. And then uh, uh, a cool French guy bought the iCapepod name, and he started started that company back up. It's like a Kickstarter. And he, he does the, I like releases like that as Kickstarters. And I, and I kind of liked the one when Mark Newson did it around the, um,
0: the very, it's like very yeah, round, right? Yeah. the
1: UFO shaped one. Yeah. And this guy started it back up and I found him on Instagram and I'm like, Oh cool. And, and then, you know, he saw yay and his, and was like, Oh wow, look at Kanye. You know, and I'm like, Oh, I didn't even know he had that. I, he always has on this Cartier one, whenever I see him wear a watch, which isn't, isn't very often. And, uh, and he's like, which waddle is, I said, I don't know. (laughs) I said, I don't know. It's the first time I've ever seen it. And, uh, so he's like, well, I started up the company, would you, you know, which would you like one at a discount? I'm like, sure. (laughs) So I bought into his next Kickstarter for the new style. And I, I think it's great. I love it. It's, It's kind of the first and the relaunch of it, it's the first, um, mechanical wind versus a quartz you know quartz are okay and all that but you know there's just something mechanic you know, something great about mechanical winds sure. automatics versus quartz uh so i got one of those um i wanted a, a speed master but they're starting to get too expensive i should have bought one when they were cheaper when they were grand you now they're like five grand and, uh, but I found a nice Seamaster locally, which I got. And I like that. It's got a simple, real simple leather strap, no date. I don't like date watches. They um, have a good the
0: back of those. I used to have an old Seamaster. It has the seahorse on the back. Yeah, this one's got the seahorse on it. It's pretty which, cool. I thought it would make a great tattoo. Like
1: oh yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like the Steve McQueen flipping the two fingers. That'd be a good oh, tattoo yeah, at the yeah, end yeah, of La <laughs> There you go. And then when I was in. When I was in college, uh, Tissot came out with the rock watch. It was really cool. And uh, I was like, oh, I would love one of those. So my grandmother bought me one for my college graduation present. So I still have that and it's gray granite. I don't know if you've ever seen them, they're really cool.
0: Wow, i I recall something about this, yeah. Yeah, they're made out remember. of
1: granite from the Swiss Alps.
0: And oh, they did wow. like
1: three or four different colors and no two are alike, obviously, because it's made out of a chunk of stone. And then they kind of water jet, water jet, cut them. And wow. then kind of inserted the, the movement from behind and uh, screwed into two nutserts inserted into the stone. And um, they're really cool. And so I still have that one. That was, the, that was one of my all time favorites. Cause I loved it. And then I also love it because my grandmother gave it to me you know
0: um you do the g-shock thing
1: you know i have a, a g-shock that is some artist edition they gave me when i went to singapore because i got invited uh last year for uh complex con yeah, uh sorry culture cartel convention down in Singapore through Reebok, Singapore. And so they had me come down as a celebrity for the fury because they were relaunching it there. Um, and then those guys are like, cool, you want one of our watches? I'm like, uh, uh, I'll never say no to a watch. you know." <laughs> and when I first started to travel internationally, uh, it used to actually still be a pretty good deal for the uh, duty free on the planes and you know, in the late 80s, early 90s, swatch was at its peak. You could get a swatch on the plane for 30 bucks. Right. Um, so I just started buying swatches, and my wife and I, between us, probably have like 30, 30 different <laughs> swatches. But it became impossible to keep all the batteries up to date. Um, so a lot of them are, are stashed in a box. Uh, swatch graveyard. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Um, and then every now and then I'll see some kind of cheap cheap old mechanical one that's got a really beautiful dial or a face. And then I got this Sorno one that's the bullhead Mickey Mouse like you were talking about with the, the ear pushers, the offset ones. And uh, those were specifically for auto racing, which is why I like those. Uh, and this one was cool. They made a Jackie X version of it. Um, I didn't get the Jackie X but I got the different one with more of a diver dial on it. Cause I kind of like that one. It's green and orange face. Uh, but yeah. Any book recommendations? Um, you know, any Sid Mead book is good. <laughs> okay. Sent- Sentinel, uh, century. Uh, you know, I like, I like coop his hot rod art and, uh, his lowbrow art is pretty cool. So I've got my Coop Devil's Advocate book over there. That's a good one. Um, some good, you know, Sneaker Freaker just put out a pretty cool sneaker book. Uh, a few years back, my wife got this really cool Ralph McQuarrie one that's all of his artwork, including all of the early concept work for Star Wars, which is it's a fascinating one. I think that was some signed limited edition. That one's pretty sweet. But uh yeah, I mean if you can't tell a lot of the visual uh but reading books, you know, my my favorite sci-fi was always Philip Jose Farmer and Larry Niven. Those were my two favorites growing up. Uh f- do you know do you know much Farmer? I don't. Oh God. He he did Tarzan Alive. Uh you should get it and read it. Uh and my other favorite one is um barnstormer and oz and it's basically he goes back you know it's kind of funny when you think about it you think about kanye and the superpowers um farmer's whole thesis for his universe his, his his concept is what if all of these superheroes and detectives and things were all real but they were all part of this bloodline so he has like uh lord greystoke um doc savage uh james bond um phineas fogg uh and, and they're all they're all part of this, this bloodline of these superhumans and so tarzan alive is imagine like what if what if tarzan was real and he went back and did this in the jungle and you know he, and, and it, it's really cool it's a retelling of the stories and he's like well when i when edgar rice when i when i told my original story to edgar rice Burroughs, i didn't tell him this detail and this detail and, it's really fascinating. So Barnstormer and Oz is really cool. It's Dorothy's son goes back to Oz and he flies in a biplane and he's got machine guns and stuff. And he's shooting down the flying monkeys in a dogfight. fight. It's, it's just amazing stuff. Uh, and the, the, <laughs> the one I had was uh, another great one was it was half Tarzan and half Doc Savage and you read the Tarzan story, all of a sudden it switches to the Doc Savage book and then halfway through it, they come together and they work, you know, the two storylines collide and then it becomes the, the end of the end of the book where they're working together. And Doc Savage is like, well, you know, I, I had a, um, you know, the, the reason why the Empire State Building has that dirigible docking port around the top of it was for me. You know, because I had my secret dirigible that I would fly in up into the docking station on the end of it. And then there's a secret elevator that takes me down into the basement where I have my special apartment with my gear and stuff. And, and I mean, it's, it's 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 super cool sci-fi stuff. Uh, wow. Like al- alternate alternate realities to your favorite stories. Uh But, yeah, those those are some of my favorites. Um. <laughs> So, you know,
0: as, as a designer, um, are there, what's the, what's the thing that most bugs you out in the world that you most want to redesign? Ooh. cause there's a lot, there's a lot of bad stuff out there. So it's big universe, yeah. but I
1: don't know what really sucks.
0: What really that. sucks <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so much that sucks. I don't know. I would I would say desktop computers, but they're changing to uh, to more of a laptop portability. But you know, some cool brands like Alienware uh, is doing. You know, which division of Dell, but um, they're breaking the mold of what a computer should be like. Uh, not just a box; it's a reimagined box. Um, I mean, Apple has done some things, but even they become their look or their style. Uh, geez, I don't know.
0: That was a really hard question. I apologize for that. It's too Cadillacs.
1: Bad. Cadillacs okay. kind of suck. Oh, <laughs> it used to be yeah. the world standard. Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. No offense to any of my friends who work at Cadillac, but
0: <laughs> they took a wrong turn. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it just should be a world standard. <laughs> Lincoln, you know, if that's your premier brand, it should say it.
0: (laughs) And what bugs me is the what do you call that part of the car when you get in the car and the stuff that's like over your head? Oh, the headliner. The headliner. They so get the headliner wrong. It just all. It's so icky and cheap. And they like they get they can kind of get the seats okay. You know, the rest of it's just it's a bit dorky, but the headliner. I just think like.
1: Like if it's sword. like real shitty velour yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh. Low nap velour like yeah, a synthetic yeah. suede right and the glue's gonna
0: let go at some point it's gonna sag and ugh.
1: or if you touch it, you know, it yeah fingerprints yeah. Yeah. i mean come on guys yeah. you can do better <laughs> was it was it uh rolls royce that had the uh the nightlit starlit sky inside you ever Ooh. see that one No, nice touch. It had all fiber optics so that (laughs) when you put on the night light, it looked like the night sky in the the roof of the car. That's cool.
0: That's a nice touch.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and the Fisker was cool with the glass roof that had the uh, solar panel embedded in it. Yeah. That kind of topped off the batteries. That was a cool idea. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, see, we're back on good instead of bad. See, it's good to stay positive. It
0: it is, it is. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Thank you for bringing me to the bright side. Um, so, um, gosh, this has been an amazing conversation. I feel like I could just, we could just do this for hours. Um, (laughs) I, uh, it's really delightful. I, I love your spirit of, um, I, I often tell people that the, the, purpose of ageist is to, um, increase people's imagination. of What's possible that we can yeah. only that, like, we can only do what we can imagine. And what helps is we show people that are kind of like us who are maybe doing something like super cool and we tell their story and we show their picture. And then other people can say, Oh, maybe that's on the menu for me, you know? And I,
1: yeah, I mean, stay curious have fun in what you do. If it's not fun, go do something else. It's not the right place for you anymore. You can't have your soul sucked away. You know, I, a lot of times and for, for me personally in the corporate world it gets to a point where it just starts, I feel like my soul's being sapped and uh, you know, early on the old mentality of people is that, you know, you retired and got the gold watch from the same company that you started at, but those days are long gone. And, you know, a few years back, people would criticize me like, "Dude's work everywhere." It's like, well, no, I haven't. You know, I worked at Adidas, New Balance, Reebok, and then I ended up at Nike. And Nike, I had hoped to get my goal—you know—to be the gold watch job because it was still in, infused in me from my parents and the upbringing, or that '50s mentality that you know, the Mad Men era—that that's the company you worked at, and you gave your life to them. And then you realize that the company can cut you off in any second that you wanted to give your life to them for. And you realize that like, well, I'm not giving it back to them again. You know, I'm gonna live it for me. And it's not selfishness, it's just self-fulfillment. What makes me feel good? I, mean, I still love working for corporations, uh, working with corporations. Because people are always like, why don't you go off and, and do your own agency or whatever? And it's like, I don't wanna stress about that. You know, it's much better to Um, work with other people to use their resources and help them get to where they want to go uh, as opposed to, I I don't don't want to worry about finance or the business or getting the next job. 70% of my time and 30% of my time is, is fulfilling and the other seventies not, I'd rather be focused on creating and creativity and, you know, that that's the place I'm at now. And that's that's what makes me happy. Uh makes me content. And not content in a good way that you become lazy or set in your ways. It's like it it, it frees you to think about what you're good at. Because you know, when you're in the corporate world, you're Working on presentations. I gotta get this PowerPoint done, and I gotta get this next shoe that you know it sold two hundred fifty thousand pairs. We gotta get at least two hundred sixty thousand pairs booked. I gotta get a dollar fifty out of the FOB, and it's like, why don't I just make something really cool that other people want? It's pretty simple, you know. All those other things are noise and complications. Um, one of my mentors at Nike, this guy Kirk Richardson who they also got rid of eventually. Uh, I always said it best, you know, there's there's two types of people in the world as facilitators and complicators. And he's like, be a facilitator. And so that, that stuck with me a lot in, in what I do and how I do it. It's like, why complicate things when you can make it easy and do it well, rather than do it half-assed and complex, you know? I don't you know.
0: Ever think about retiring?
1: I don't, I don't know if I, you know, I'd, all the time because I could go racing and build oh, guitars right. and stuff. But, right, right, yeah. Uh, you know, you got to pay for that stuff. <laughs> but right. also, you know, to be, it's like I found something I'm good at that I enjoy. Um, so why stop? Exactly. You know, I mean, I've, I'm not rich. I'm not a millionaire. You know, I got enough. If I could live frugally, I could retire. Although the government makes it very difficult because they take an extra percentage until you're 62. So I'm not 62 yet. Um, so I'm not ready to give them up more of my, my retirement money. I've busted my butt to get. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I I like this. I like, I like the people I work with. Um, I like being around other creatives. So I, I, I don't know. I think I think it'd be hard. Someday I definitely want to, so that I can just you know jump in my truck, throw the trailer on the back, and take the race car somewhere. Like you know, this big race I always wanted to do at Pittsburgh. I'd love to go do that um, and travel travel to some other tracks and stuff. But right now, no, nah, this is this is fun. It's invigorating. You know, I, I get up, I get up every day wanting to do it. You know, which is great. When I get up that day and I don't want to do it, maybe then it's time. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the way I look at it.
0: Well, as you said, Frank Lloyd Wright made that building and he was in his 70s. He did a pretty good job on it.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's one of his best. You know, no. Guggenheim is so beautiful everything about it. And it's so futuristic compared to the Prairie style where he had been Right, such a departure. Um, So, yeah, I mean, if you can change, evolve, change, uh, I, I, I think that's important. You know, I've seen so many people who are the next big thing within like a Nike and then they get stuck in a rut. They designed one big shoe and they, you know, it's again, it's kind of like where we started with the music people where they never evolve. They get their one hit, that was their formula and they make it their formula, contain themselves. And it's a lot of that way where somebody had a moment where there were a flash as opposed to a constantly burning flame. Um, and after the flash, they got nothing left. So they just retreat to that. And I, I can't bring myself to that stagnation or static and collect a check. You know, there's, there's more to be done. And I look at that, that evolution of, you know, a guy like Frank Lloyd Wright, um, where he kept creating and then creating his masterpiece, um, well past the age that I'm at. Um, so yeah, there's there's more to be done. I got a gift. Why not use
0: it? I, um, there's a piece I just read that uh, in the Atlantic um, about Bruce Springsteen's new work. So um, I like Bruce. I think Bruce is really good. Um, <laughs> yeah.
1: I like his songs done by other people.
0: <laughs> oh, you got, have you ever read a Bruce show? Uh uh-uh. uh. Oh, dude. It's like, Uh, It is a religious experience is all I can, it's just unlike anything I've ever seen. Um, It's extraordinary. Uh, But he, you know, the guy, the interviewer asked him, so why why are you doing this? Like he's like 72 or something, he just made a film, he's got a new record, he's got his band back together. And he, he describes this drive to communicate, that he has this compulsion to communicate with the audience and with other people out there. And it's um it it reminds me of like what you just said like like you have a gift at this thing you, mm-hmm. you got a gig, you're good at it you're able to impact the world with your designs and you know maybe maybe sometime you don't want to do that but I I, I don't know I've talked to a lot of people um, that usually doesn't happen <laughs> usually, yeah. They, they want to keep doing this thing that they like doing
1: <laughs> so yeah i mean what when, when i was in design school I, again there were six of us that graduated from my class in the product design department the others all went to go work at uh, at that point in time and you'll know because we're roughly the same uh, era of Wang, Digital, Data General—they all went and got jobs at oh, yeah. those places. The early days sure. of tech,
0: yeah.
1: And you know, they were designing boxes and deciding where to put the vent on the box or the light. This year, you know, we'll move right. it over an inch and put the vent here and the power button there. And I went to design sneakers at New Balance, and they're like, "What are you doing? you design designing sneakers!" Ha 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 ha. And I'm like, or or Corning Medical was another big uh employer at that time where they kind of geared our curriculum for and i was like but you know what i said when you guys design something say like a medical device i'm not saying it's 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 an extremely valuable thing same at that time with computers they were they were used in laboratories there were they weren't pcs like everybody didn't have one um i said how many do they make and they're like i don't know 10 20 50 I said, well, when, when I design something, you know, they do a hundred thousand, right? Two hundred thousand. And at that time, the, the ceiling was around a hundred dollars. And I said, it's for everybody. And I said, I can go anywhere in the world and see someone who bought my design and appreciated my art and my work. And it's their work now, it's their art they bought it. I said, anywhere in the world, can you? Half of those guys ended up in some of the sneaker companies in New England 10 years later, you know, cause all, all those, those early Silicon Valley equivalents in Boston, which was the early days of it are all, they're gone. You know, none of those brands even exist. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's satisfying. And, and last year when I went to Japan, Oh my God, it was crazy. Like I couldn't go more than 10 feet without seeing somebody in something that I did from all of the different companies that I've worked at over 35 years. Uh, and you want to talk humbling and satisfying at the same time, you know, 10 feet like, oh, there's a pair of new balances I side Oh look, there's a pair of Reebok I to side. Oh look, there's a pair of Adidas I to Oh, look at that over there. Uh, this guy in a pair of Yeezys and you know, you couldn't go anywhere without seeing your work. And, and that's, what's really cool about the sneaker business in general. Um, you know, when, when, when we do Yeezys, they're, they're kind of limited releases on each color when we do the drops. And uh, it's accessible art for the everyday person, you know, and you can use it if you want. It's functional, it's comfortable, it's high quality, um, and it, it's accessible art. You know, it's not like every everybody can't buy a Warhol or a Van Gogh. I mean, you can buy reproductions of it and hang it on your wall. But with our stuff, you know, you get limited edition Kanye West shoes. You get a piece of Kanye in some ways creatively. And you could use it if you want. Um, so it's pretty cool. And, and, you know, 200 bucks and you got art. And that's the way a lot of these kids view it. Uh, it, it, it's art more than pure fashion or performance. I mean, even though they're all integral parts of it, so to them, it becomes their collection or their collector's item or, or their sports cards. You know, they their their library, if you will, in some ways. So, yeah, you're impacting
0: the culture, like yeah. I um, right? If you're designing a it, computer box, you're not
1: doing that. <laughs> no. <laughs> no 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 so it, it's been you know it's been satisfying and there weren't many people doing this when when i started it was a uh, those of us that started it defined it as to what it could be or should be as a career you know there were a handful of us doing this back then in the in the 80s um and you know we we've been so impactful that uh, we've made a very desirable career to have uh, schools teach it now. Schools teach specific sneaker design. Um, I didn't know anything about shoes or sneakers other than that I wore them and I liked them when I got my job at New Balance, but I learned from uh, proper St. Louis dress shoe makers on how to make them, uh, how to build them, uh, cobblers. They taught me how to make my own shoes. Uh yeah, it was a very different time. This the Stitchers taught me how to sew my own uppers. Um and I think those early hands-on experiences made me good at what I am to continue this long in, in this. It's that early foundation and knowledge base. Uh and you know, I'm forever grateful to those people for what they taught me and how they taught me so
0: yeah Stephen this has
1: been really quite something thank you oh, good <laughs> um, I always say it's best to talk about it and get the knowledge out because when I'm dead it's uh, gone with me <laughs> what does what, what Kanye call you the 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 vessel
0: of the cum, uh, accumulated knowledge of the industry the, yeah yeah we don't want to lose that
1: <laughs> yeah you know and you know, that's one of the things he and I have in common is this photographic memory, um, for things. And so when I tell you these stories they uh, it's accurate. It's exactly what happened. You know, I can, I can tell what I had on the first day of work at New Balance in 1986, when I started, who was in the room, what was said, what I, what I did, where I went every minute, um, and again, that's that's a gift, but it can also be a curse, because you're remembering it. You're not like pulling it off a shelf; uh, you're remembering it all simultaneously, and it's how you could retrieve it. That is how you stay sane, in a lot of ways, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah,
0: my memory sucks. So every day is like, <laughs> every day is
1: a huge surprise. It's like, wow, <laughs> look at this. That's what's kind of fun. That's why like Reebok calls me back. Can you be the celebrity for this thing and go talk about the fury? I'm like, yeah, what do you want to know this time? You know? No. <laughs> Cause they're, they're just like deer in the headlights as I tell them exactly what happened. You know, they're not getting somebody else's retelling who was in the corner of the room. It's like, right. this is what happened. These were the people, this is what was said, this is how it happened, you know? And so it's good, it's good to, again, to share it all um, rather than let it die away. You know, people are fascinated, they're interested in it. You know, what we did, um, yeah, you know, I didn't save anybody's lives or send anybody to the moon, but people, it was it was still impactful to the culture and, and, and the world. I mean, this stuff's still relevant, you know, those new balance shoes I designed 35 years ago are selling stronger than they did back then. So uh, I did something right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got sometime when we w- we hang out, I'll tell you my Reebok stories with Alan Iverson.
1: Oh yeah. Iverson's yeah. cool. <laughs> Iverson's cool.
0: Reebok is way not cool. They didn't know, they didn't know what to do with Alan. <laughs> <laughs> i love alan what am i he's one of my favorite favorite athletes of all time um but for another day <laughs> that's just the corporate world they don't know what to do oh he, <laughs> he oh he used to screw with them like you would not believe he just he <laughs> scared the bejesus out of them and like <laughs> oh yeah he he, uh, like i remember doing this shoot with them and he would just um he for some reason thought i was cool right so like along fine <laughs> But like, so we're on a basketball court, right? And there, yeah, you know, there's like, Allen, who's extraordinary, and we're just, you know, taking pictures and shooting the shit. And uh, he turns the whole like, so the, like all the Reebok executive team were there because they they weren't like Allen was just made them really nervous, right? So yeah. they wanted to be there. And Allen had a handler named Q who followed. Oh him yeah, up. I remember him. Yeah, yeah. So Q's job is to keep Allen out of the papers. And Allen was yeah. a really Allen was a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> he would like. So, Alan, at the end of the shoot, Alan comes over to me and he taps me on the shoulder and he's like, Come on, man, let me see you jump shot. I was like, S-s-s-s-s-s-s-s-s. Like, what? Like, <laughs> he's like the, the you know, he's like the MVP that year. He's like, Yeah, man, let me see you jump shot. And so I was like, uh, Okay. So I go over there and I'm not very <laughs> good, right? It clangs off the rim. Now, the point of this was he did this and this, and this, this exercise went on for 45 minutes. Yeah. And so we, d- we do this until he's sort of satisfied with my jump shot and my jump shot dramatically improved at the coaching of Allen Iverson. Yeah. But the point of it was to torture the Reebok guys.
1: So <laughs> to just every- sit
0: there. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. No, no. So what would happen is every time, cause I clang the thing off the backboard of the rim and he would yell at them. He's like, get the ball, feed the man the ball, get the ball, get the ball. And so you'd see <laughs> them, like, like white guys in suits with like the regular street shoes, like sliding around the floor, trying to scamper to get the ball to give it back to me and <laughs> <laughs> it's been for 45 minutes. And then he was like, good job, man. And he just walks out the door. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> That's <was> good. <laughs> um, anyway, um, I've taken up so much of your time today. Thank you, Steven. This has been a delight. And, um, the next time we're in Portland, we'll, um, I don't know, we'll go to Red Lobster or something. And yeah, I don't get a red lobster. <laughs> <That's>
1: <laughs> or whatever,
0: wherever you want to go, we'll, we'll go. <laughs>
1: where you? I always forget where you're based. Uh,
0: I, well, I, I lived in, I lived in New York for a long time and then I lived in Los uh-huh. Angeles for about 12 years. And then, uh, the beginning of March, I did this sort of radical thing and I left and I've been in park city, Utah. Oh, we, okay. Yeah. We, we sold our place in downtown Los Angeles and, uh, we, we, we're not in it we're not, i'm in this like funny rental condo now but um we bought a townhouse just down the street so maybe nice. like a U, utah resident
1: yeah i make it that way occasionally into utah so we'll see it's pretty cool <laughs> yeah. yeah
0: it is <laughs> um all right man listen good luck with all your machines all your stuff um it's it's a pleasure and um um you you inspired me today thank you
1: all right. Thanks.
0: Thank you. Take care. Mr. Stephen Smith, quite a guy. That was a heck of a lot of fun. I hope uh, all of you had as much fun as I did. Uh, uh, hey, if, if you did enjoy it, please hit the like button on iTunes. Please leave a comment and tell your friends about this show with Stephen. Um, it's not very often that you get to hear him talk about this. Um, it's it a really rare opportunity today. And if you're not subscribed to the Aegis newsletter, you might want to think about doing that. Um, Go to Aegis.com and sign up uh, for the weekly newsletter. It's kind of awesome. And my feeling is there's going to be a little more Stephen coming up in the future um, in Aegis and in the newsletter. So we'd love to have you there. Everybody, have a wonderful week. Stay creative. Be like Stephen. Make something new. Look into the future. See you next week.
1: Bye now.